London was becoming too expensive for Macy Hitchcock, so she spent a year in Berlin studying art and architectural history. After finishing her master's back in London and landing a job at the BBC, she found herself still thinking about Berlin. It didn't take much to convince Macy to return to Berlin to enjoy that city's grand architecture, its sense of history, open spaces, and its currywurst. Macy works as a tour guide in Berlin now, and she joins us for a look at how you can better understand Germany by listening to its music, especially its contemporary pop and rock music from the last 50 years or so. Macy, how did Germany's pop culture scene differ from the one that American and British artists were setting the scene for back in the 1950s and 60s? Well, I think that actually Germany kind of took its own path post-World War II uh, in terms of pop. Uh, it was kind of forced to, in a way, because well, no one was really interested in what was going on in Germany, I imagine, musically after the war. And I think they really wanted to follow their own path. And you had in the beginning, you had something which is now kind of looked down on. It sells a lot, but it's not particularly cool. Schlager. No, uh, and how do you define Schlager? And I define Schlager as I say, it's kind of, say, schmaltzy. It's a German word, schmaltz, which is for like lard. So or, the word schmaltz yeah. is actually for a German word for lard. It is, yeah. So an American says schmaltzy, they are saying a German word. Yeah, they are indeed. And I think schmaltzy sums up Schlager completely. It embodies a Schlager. It's kind of like, um, would you say Barry Manilow is schmaltzy? I'd say it's a bit like new country music. It's the equivalent in the US, okay. this kind of country light. I think there's a celebration of schmaltziness yes. in, in Schlager. Definitely. And the lyrics are simple. They're always romantic. They're optimistic. Often Schlager singers might be a bit older. And, and it sounds a little better when you've had a couple beers. It definitely does. And what you'll do is if you listen to Schlager music and you'll see it on the TV channels that broadcast, exclusively broadcast Schlager. Isn't there a band in uh, Castleruth, a yeah. Tyrolean band, that's the uh, the Castleruther or something like that. And it's just, it's international. They're a phenom. Yeah. And it's all very simple, very happy, very yeah. light, umpa Schlager. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, but you're talking about a more serious cultural edge. Yes. And what, what is that? And there are different genres that the Germans have pioneered post-war. Um, one of them, kind of one that's had a very long-lasting impact, it's a little bit more obscure, but it's, you know, influenced contemporary music, especially independent music across Europe and the world. And that's Krautrock. <laughs> Doesn't sound great. Krautrock. So the krautrock, in, insulting yeah. way to refer to a German is a kraut. Yeah. So this is krautrock. Yes. And, and kraut means people who eat sauerkraut a lot, right? Basically, Okay, so yeah. and in Germany, you can actually call a genre krautrock. Yes. It's kind of electronic, or, or how would it's you describe it? It's kind it? of electronic. It basically came emerged from the uh, 60s kind of counterculture movement. 68 was the birth of Krautwalk. I think that year was when lots of young kind of dropouts, lots of students were kind of getting together, forming communes, rejecting kind of their parents, the so generation. this is the Woodstock times in America? Absolutely, yeah. And it's the time you've got the student protests across Europe, so they're very much fired on by that. It's protest, it's political, it's, but it's electronic. It's electronic because they wanted their own kind of style of music. They didn't want to just copy the Americans. The idea was the Americans were kind of colonizing but electronic West in the sense of... Very avant-garde. Very okay, avant-garde. avant-garde. It, it, yeah. And they combined elements of kind of psychedelic rock. So there was an influence from rock and roll And that's with that. rock. And that's cult rock, yeah. Okay, and then what happened after that? And then after that, you have much later on, you have uh, things like the Neue Deutsche Welle movement, which was the Germans' take on New Wave, which is kind of more poppy. So Neue Welle, is that New Wave? New Wave, yeah. Okay, the so, New German Wave. So Neue Deutsche Welle, the New German Wave. Yes. So yeah. we have New Wave, our punk. This is German punk? Exactly, yeah. And it's kind of, it was kind of more silly, believe it or not. Because our punk is sort of <laughs> angry. Yeah. And it was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, but in Germany, it was actually light and fun. Yes, it really? was. It was really self-effacing. I've been dressing up in silly costumes. There was a band called Der Plan from Dusseldorf who used to wear kind of ridiculous alien outfits and talk about picking pieces of pizza out of the dustbin. 
that kind of stuff. So as we're talking you know. about this, uh, Macy, if you can relate to American groups that we might be yes. able to see it, like would there be an American equivalent of a light and happy punk rocker? I would even say possibly Devo. Mm-hmm. They're quite famous. I'd say right. Devo is the equivalent, was the That's American kind of equivalent. That's what my guess yep. would be. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Macy Hitchcock. We're talking about modern German music, pop music in Germany and how it reflects the culture. When we're going through all of this, we all know how American music has reflected our culture as it's gone through difficult stages and as it's grown. How does the German story differ from the, the American story? I mean, you've got Germany being basically reborn after World War II, you know, in, in a different way to the rest of the Europe. It was the defeated country, uh, and it had a lot to gain. It needed to gain a lot. And I feel like a band like uh, there were bands that kind of embraced the new uh, reborn Germany, because Germany emerged very, very quickly from the ashes of World War II, thanks to the Marshall Plan, or West Germany, let's say. So America was injecting all sorts of funds to build up its former enemy and make it a a strong, stable, capitalist, free society. But the parents of a lot of the um, market for pop music were, were former Nazis. Yes, absolutely. And the young people were basically trying to kind of get away from that. And you have the kind of the violent manifestation of that in the Bader-Meinhof group. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I mentioned Krautrock before. And one group that came out of the Krautrock movement were Kraftwerk, which literally means a kind of factory. Kraftwerk. Now, Kraftwerk. I think the one American, the song that might have crossed the Atlantic was uh, Bon, 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 Autobahn. Autobahn, yeah. Yes, yeah. and that is for me. That was really was fun, is, fun, fun autobahn. That was actually mis- it's misunderstood. That lyric is actually they're saying wir fahren auf der Autobahn, which means we drive on the autobahn. But when Americans heard it and British people heard it, they thought, oh, they're saying the fun, fun, fun of the autobahn. And when Kraftwerk translated their lyrics, they translated it into the fun, fun, fun oh, of so the autobahn. Kraftwerk did an English language version. Yes, they did, yeah. So, and yeah. I, I just heard bon, 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 autobahn, <laughs> but it was. The original German was... Fahren, fahren, fahren. We drive, drive, drive on the Autobahn. What's the message of that song? I think the message is the idea is, you know, although I have to say the Autobahn was the product of the Third Reich. uh, Hitler built the the, the super freeways of Germany to get their tanks from the Russian front to the French front in a hurry. Exactly. But, you know, it's a legacy, one of the few positive legacies of the Third Reich. And basically, I think what it represents is it's Germany moving forwards, it's emerging from the ashes of World War II, Ah. and it's rebuilding itself, and it was becoming hugely a powerful economic kind of powerhouse which was unexpected. You know, it really rapidly recovered from World War II thanks to this money. That is interesting. It probably was uh, sort of shocking to the Germans how they had basically destroyed Europe and suddenly they completely lost. They're completely bombed out. They get a complete, like a blood transfusion with new money and new mark, all funded by their former enemies, the Americans. And suddenly Germany is the powerhouse in Europe. They are importing Turks to be their guest arbiters. There's all sorts of economic power on the horizon. And take it up to today, and, and Germany really is the leading power in the European Union. The euro is kind of like the Deutschmark in disguise. That's what's so incredible about it, is that you have this Wirtschaftswunder, this economic miracle. It was a miracle, really, that happened. And I think Kraftwerk encapsulated that. And then Whether it was conscious or not, I don't know. But a lot of their songs were about technology. They were about moving forwards. They were about the future. Uh, and they're very so positive and really forward-looking. So making it clear. We're making a yeah. clean break with the past. Yeah. Our parents, yep. God bless them, they're done. That's yep. no more of that. Well, now we look ahead. Yeah. And they even built their own instruments and they were seen as very, very groundbreaking. What instruments would those have been? Synthesizers. They originally incorporated things like, they used things like flutes with synthesizers, electronic synthesizers. And in the end, they just used to build everything themselves. They had their own big studio in Dusseldorf and they were famous for kind of creating these. Now, the reality here, you got superpower Western Germany, the model of a new capitalist society, free, pluralistic, and you got Eastern Germany, the DDR, that until 1990 was living under a communist dictatorship that worked very hard to control the pop scene. 
What was the music and pop culture scene on the other side of the Berlin Wall like in the 1980s? Well, it was a very different story because the regime, um, especially, actually, I'd say earlier on, the regime was very opposed to any kind of American, any kind of rock and roll, because they saw it as corrupting East German youth, taking them away from socialism. By the 1980s, they'd mellowed a bit. But before that, you had them clamping down very heavily on dissident singers. There was a very famous singer called Wolf Biermann, who was basically, I'd say, the East German equivalent of Woody Guthrie or Bob Dylan. He was out there doing his protest songs. He was actually an East German protesting against the communist system, and he got away with it? Well, no, he didn't, actually. What's incredible about Wolf Biermann is he actually grew up in the West, and he moved to the East at the age of 17, in order to live in communist East he Germany. He moved by choice as a teenager? Yes. He wasn't dragged there by his parents? No, no, he was a convinced communist and he thought things would be better on the other side of the and wall. And he was a folk singer like Woody Guthrie? Yeah, he was in, involved in theatre and he was a very accomplished academic and he ended up writing these protest songs um, so criticising the regime. Yes. So he went there idealistically Absolutely, and this yeah. man's name is Biermann. Uh, Wolf Biermann, yeah. Did he end up being silenced by the government? Yes, he basically got a ban on performing live in 1965. Now, my understanding is the government there would rather take a nobody from the West and pretend they are the Bob Dylan who's left capitalism, and then they make them a fake star. There was a guy named Dean Reed who was famous all over the Warsaw Pact as the escapee from American capitalism. And people, teenagers in Eastern Europe, genuinely thought this guy was a James Taylor or a Bob Dylan who really preferred to be in the communist world. And he's saying propaganda songs that were pop hits. Yeah, and they had to basically, you know, because there weren't many of those around, you couldn't get many people to sing in the service of the regime. People preferred not to. You were uncool if you did that. And of course, many young East Germans were secretly listening to Western radio anyway. So that was the hottest thing when I traveled in communist East Germany was uh, cassettes from the West. Yes. What you had is you had basically people recording, you know, Western radio. I brought my cassette to Bulgaria and I gave it to my friend and he said, tomorrow there will be 50 copies of this. Yes. And all of my friends will have it. Absolutely. And they had machines in people's basements that could, in a garage kind of way, duplicate all of these cassettes. Yeah. And you even had cassette DJs because you basically had to... No one had any vinyl. If you had vinyl, it was very expensive. There was a state record label called Amiga, but a lot of them, the stuff they were producing was not what the young people wanted. If you went to a disco, most young East Germans wanted to listen to Western music, but DJs were forced to play a minimum of 60% East German pop. Macy, in 1990 or so, that's the end of communism. Germany is united, 70 million people, a country the size of Montana, superpower culturally and economically in Europe. The new generation of German music, the young generation, is is much more um, multi-ethnic now. Does that yes. show itself in its music? Yeah, it definitely does. I'd say, especially since 1990, um, you've got a lot of uh, hip-hop is massive in Germany. I think German hip-hop music scene is the second biggest in the world, believe it or not. Now, how does hip-hop in Germany compare to hip-hop in America? As we were talking in punk, there was not the anger and the edge in Germany. In the hip-hop scene, it's multi-ethnic, uh, How would it relate to the hip-hop we know in the United States? What you have is you have a lot of second, third generation immigrants who will be making the kind of hip-hop that has parallels. I'd say it's more like the stuff that was coming out in New York in the 1970s, the Grandmaster Flash scene, where it was like young people just going out there and kind of wrapping their heads off. And these are basically marginalised groups. They're poorer. They represent, you know, the the Kurds, the Turks. So the equivalent um, of inner-city American street music. Yeah. And that stuff's often a bit darker. Amazing production on it. That's what's so incredible about it. Do you appreciate it? As I as do, art? actually. I mean, my German friends often say, how can you listen to it? It's so awful, German rap. Why don't you listen to American rap? And I'm saying, that's what's interesting about it, because it gives me insight into the culture. Into the reality yeah. of, of the immigrant yeah. world in the, yeah. in the 
barrios yep. of German big cities. Lots of slang. Um, lots of the young Arab rappers, they'll use lots of Arab words. They have their own culture. There's a very strong kind of hip-hop movement out coming out of Frankfurt, that kind of area. Um, singers like uh, Haftbefehl, uh, Aslak, the record label, all that kind of thing. And it's very cutting edge. Would this be African? or Because Turkish is a, a huge um, slice of the German population these days. I mean, the Turks form a, a large part of it. They have their own kind of vernacular. But you have also a very, very large it's Arab, primarily, mm, it's I'd most, say. Most a lot of Arab. But then you have the other side of it. The thing is, you have different... It depends on the music scene. You know, it depends on the, on the type of music you want to listen to. Because it's like being in the US. It's like there isn't just one... It's very fragmented. But some, like Nina has transcended this. Uh, she's there for, for decades. Yeah, she's, but she's like a pop icon. For, for me, from this side of the Atlantic, yeah. I, when I think pop German music, I yeah. think Nina. And for me, the great thing about Nina is she defeats this idea that the German language does not sound beautiful. It's a beautiful language when, when somebody like Nina sings yeah. it. And I have to say, I think, I know, I hate to mention the R word, but I still think Rammstein manage it, although it's not beautiful like Nina. Rammstein? Yeah. And what is that exactly? Rammstein are a six, I think they're a six-man band from East Germany. They uh-huh. grew up in the 90s under the communist regime. They were part of the punk scene in the GDR. And they survived the and unification? They, su- they survived unification and they were young, you know, guys in their mid-twenties after unification. And they basically copied a band, I'd say, in Slovenia called Leibach, mm-hmm. who did this very kind of martial, militaristic sounding electronic music. But they made it, Rammstein made it more metalish. So they un- introduced very metal elements to it. Because that martial, metallic yeah. sound was almost a battle cry in fo- yes. ex-Yugoslavia as they fought their battles. Absolutely. And it yeah. was, I think, Rammstein picked up on that. And also yeah. there was that same thing of Rammstein having grown up under the communist communist Leibach did. Right. And it was, I think it was a reflection of that. And also mocking it. There was a lot of kind of mockery. Uh, they're making fun of themselves. They kind of embrace very violent, controversial themes. I don't know whether that's also connected with growing up in East Germany, of being able to finally kind of throw your toys out of the pram, finally, you know. You can psychoanalyze so much yeah, of this. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Germany has such interesting history. Yeah. I find, and just anecdotally as I travel around, Germany is kind of a mecca for trance music. People go to Berlin for these festivals, and yeah. uh, it almost doesn't translate into you know broadcast media, but it's a happening. Can you talk a little bit about the electronica? Yeah, electronica. I mean, because the Germans pioneered, in my view, and well, generally it's accepted, had a huge impact on the music scene, electronic music scene worldwide. It's remained the kind of land of electronica. So you go to places like Berlin. I mean, it's getting a lot of press at the moment. There's a club called Berghain. It's in the international press. It's kind of a bit over. But it's this gigantic building where people go in. They don't get there until three in the morning. They may not get let in. There's a legendary, a very difficult, uh, what we call a Türsteher, a bouncer on the door called Sven, who has this kind of dark glasses, this great big beard, looks like a biker. And he just basically turns away most people. If you look like a tourist, you're not getting in. There's no mobile phones, no cell phones allowed inside, so no photographs adding to the kind of you know, enigmatic character of this place. And it's just, you go in there and it's just thumping electro for hours and hours. And these parties go on for days and days and days. And it's you go inside and it kind of looks like a church with these great big windows because it's an old industrial building. And that is real testament to how electronic music has just continued to dominate Germany. And, and where, where was that? Well, that's in Berlin. In Berlin. Is there yeah. a scene in Hamburg also or is it mostly Berlin? I'd say there is a scene in Hamburg. They have a kind of different thing going on there. Because I've heard in Hamburg people go and they just lose themselves for an entire weekend. Oh yeah, they absolutely do. I mean, that's, it's Germany all over. It's particularly, I say, Hamburg and Berlin, those Have are the most liberal. Not for a while. I'm getting a bit old, I'm getting a bit old for that, I have to say. In I Berlin, can't keep up in, with In Berlin, friends. they've got these concrete flak towers that yes. date back to the Hitler times. And they're just too thick to tear down. And they just are 
bumping with this modern yeah. techno music. It's the perfect environment. It's this kind of edgy, you know, it feels a bit post-industrial. And it continues, despite the fact Berlin's now evolving into much more of a kind of contemporary dynamic city, there's still this sort of edginess to it that people are very attracted to and want to be part of. So if know. people want to learn more about that before their trip and then connect with German pop scene when they do go to Germany, what's your advice? Do you know, I'd say the best thing to do when you get to Germany, they have an amazing live music scene. I'd say Berlin and Hamburg are the best places, mm-hmm. but you have in Munich, you have great live venues. Mm-hmm. If you just check out, like, you know, just Google, like, pop concerts Berlin, right. and it's just every day you'll have loads going on, and there's uh-huh. always something going on in Berlin. Macy Hitchcock, that is so interesting. It's a dimension of German culture that the average traveler uh, really doesn't pay much attention to and, and perhaps should. Thanks so much. Thank you. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.